Welcome to Guy Aitchison's Reinventing the Tattoo Community. This is a very special episode with the tattoo journalist and FIP from San Diego. It's going to be uh, awesome. I'm very excited. So we're not sure where you're watching from. It could be uh, YouTube or Facebook, but one way or another, the best way to always get a hold of all of this live programming is at the Reinventing the Tattoo app. You could find it at either of the app stores. Just do a search for Reinventing the Tattoo, give it a download, and then um, if you you want to just go straight to your browser, community.reinventingthetattoo.com. We're streaming out uh, five to seven times a week with great content, and you can always catch the replays right there in the library. The uh, Reinventing the Tattoo YouTube channel and the Reinventing the Tattoo podcast are our two new outlets, so we're going to ask that you give it a follow and then uh, give us your kind words in the reviews. Please send us all your constructive criticism. We want to hear it straight to management at Reinventing the Tattoo. But right now, those reviews in either of the app stores or the podcast or YouTube will help uh, us get the word out that these two new channels exist for reinventing. Um, okay, let's see. Uh, weekly events that we have on these channels that you might be interested in. Every, Monday, every Sunday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, Eastern Standard, we have a reinventing drawing group with Jason Lesser. At 9 o'clock in the morning, we have a reinventing drawing group with Jake Meeks from the Fireside Tattoo Network. Uh, they're great. You, uh, if you're a tattooer or an artist, uh, you can beam in and do your drawing while having conversations. If you want to just uh, beam in and listen, then th so far the conversations have all been good. We get topics from the chat rooms. We talk amongst ourselves. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it goes on for an hour or two each time, and, it, and it's awesome. Let's see, we have regular uh, Let's Talk Tattoo with Mark Lascarbo from Needlejig. Um, every Monday at 9 o'clock at night, Guy Aitchison does exclusive exercises for his subscribers. So if you are interested in working alongside Guy and the other Reinventing the Tattoo subscribers, it's uh, pretty cheap. It's less than a dollar a day, uh, in the words of some of our subscribers. Uh, it's well worth it. You get the Canon, which is six or seven online courses. It's uh, He started off as his book and then... DVDs, and now it's something that he could update uh, whenever he wants to, and, the, and it's pretty awesome. Anyways, uh, courses.reinventingthetattoo.com to check out more of the details for that with the exclusive exercises at 9. Then we have Tattoo Collecting Podcasts happen every Thursday at noon Eastern. Uh, Fawn Baker and Jordan Rukas will interview tattoo collectors. It's pretty, swick, uh, pretty awesome. They, uh, all the tattoo collectors have amazing work. It's um, whenever they send over the pictures, they're pretty sweet. Actually, we have some pretty awesome pictures lined up for today's interview too. So let me get on with this. Um, so uh, real world events, we have a BYOB, Paradise BYOB. We're not even sure what we're really doing, but it is October 3rd to the 6th. Very few tickets will be sold, but that's okay because we don't really want to pack the place. But it will be fun. We'll be beaming out all sorts of programming like this and seminars and whatnot. So check that out. We're going to be in Brussels November 12th to the 14th. Again, depending on how the world plays out, uh, we've got our shots and ready to go. Um, yeah, so that's in November. Uh, sponsors that help make this programming free, we have Inkjet Stencils, so you can do your editing on your iPad or your computer, then print out from your eco... Uh, eco-friendly tank or eco-refillable, uh, eco-refillable uh, Epson tank. And they have both the inks and the paper so that, yeah, you can uh, save your hands, uh, save a little bit of dough, inkjetstencils.com. Then let's see, rawpigments.co, uh, a pigment company out of California, acrylic-free uh, and vegan inks. We have, actually, we have some samples 
to, to give away alongside with some Cheyenne uh, uh, cartridges. These are some pretty awesome goodie bags. Currently, you, you're, you're forced to sign up for a ticket for an awesome Equinox festival uh, uh, replay. We had Android Jones do some, uh, or we didn't have him, he, we, you know, he came and he was able to do some awesome 3D graphics going through like a VR world. And then Aja Lu did live streaming music alongside with it. So if you want to get this goodie bag, it's uh, it's pretty good stuff. Go to reinventingthetattoo.com slash Equinox. You fill out the form, you're going to get emailed the watch page. And then at the bottom of that watch page is the place where you fill in your address and we'll just send you free samples from awesome places. Okay, uh, wanna thank our affiliates, Fireside Tattoo Network and the Apprenticeship Diaries. And I'm going to hop in the background and pass off the show to the tattoo journalist. And I'm going to enjoy, Adriana, thank you so much for doing this and setting it up. Um, this is very exciting, okay. Uh, so yeah, and in, the, in the chat, in the chat rooms, one last thing in the chat rooms, let us know how it's working for you. Um, let us know some interesting stories. And if there's time, we will maybe ask some questions from the chat room and stuff. I'll send them over to Adriana. And uh, okay, well, thanks again. Thank you, Gabe. Thank you very much for the introduction. And thank you to FIP for being here. My first question is, you began tattooing in 1979. Uh, to please explain how you started in the tattoo industry. Uh, sorry. How uh, I started, you know, I, I just got interested in it for some reason. And uh, uh, I was working at a lumber yard at the time and some guys came in with fresh tattoos on them. And I asked, where did you get those? And the guy's name, Mike Luckett, that was doing it. And he was doing it out of his house. So I just got more and more interested to the point I had to get a tattoo and then uh, Mike Luckett came to my house to tattoo me at my kitchen table. And I was really more interested in doing tattoos and getting them at that time. And um, so I just had one for a few years, but anyway, Mike tattooed me and with a, using a plastic stencil, he said, why don't you cut it? And then I ended up borrowing his equipment and he let me recolor a tiny little tattoo on him and uh, loan me his stuff. And he, he said, oh, I think I'm going to go to hell for tattooing. So I'll learn it. So that's how I got my start. So you started basically at home and then yep. picked up to working at actual studios such as, where did you work? Oh, uh, well, what happened after that? I That was in 79 and I was just on my own trial and error. I had an acquaintance from high school that lived right down the street by chance, and he wanted to get a lot of tattoos. So I was working in my kitchen trying to figure it out. And then I went to art school at the Art Institute of Pittsburgh in 1982. And there, through a friend of mine, Nason Gig, he uh, knew Red Schuster, who was there in Pittsburgh. And Red, would he had a, a shop set up in his house. At one point, he was in a head shop tattooing in like a back room, but yeah, that was, wasn't going on when I met him, but uh, he had a room in his house and he also tattooed at county fairs within about an hour uh, of Pittsburgh. So in the summer of 83 and the summer of 84, I did that with him. And then a good friend of his and who became a good friend of mine was uh, Duke Miller. And Duke did it too, where Red was really heavily covered 
with tattoos at that time. And he would take his shirt off and stand out front of the van. And he was the, the barker, whatever you want to call it, that got uh, the ball rolling. And Duke and I were in there doing tattoos. And Red had been doing it for 10 years already. And he helped me out a lot at that point, And so did Duke. And then at the end of art school, it was 1984. And I really wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I was way more interested in tattooing than anything else. And then uh, Red was acquainted with J.C. Fly that had J.C. Fly tattoo in Medford, New York. And he put in a good word for me with Fly and I ended up going up there. And then Patty Kelly at the time was my girlfriend later became my wife that we had met in art school and she went with me and then Fly was going to Apache Junction, Arizona with his girlfriend, her family said, oh, they need a tattoo shop out here, Fly, there's no tattoo shops. Well, he goes out there and it turns out it was a retirement community. So <laughs> that didn't really work out. <laughs> no. And he about seven months later and at, uh, that point, it was the three of us and really not enough work there in uh, Long Island. It was a, a small shop, kind of in a odd location, sort of in a alley in a little strip mall. So we're in the mid eighties, more or less? Yeah, well that was, we were at Flies from fall of 84 to fall of 85. Mm -hmm. Then we went to uh, Richmond, Virginia to work for a guy named Gary Childress. He was a shop owner, but uh, and our friend Frank Mills was in Richmond already and worked at a little shop for uh, Gary and he had two shops and Gary actually didn't tattoo or anything. He locked into the lease and it was called Creative Designs when he had it. It was a house that had been transformed into a tattoo shop and actually Danny Fowler had had it there before and it was called uh, Pelican Sunrise when Danny had it. And that's where Frank apprenticed. And my understanding is that Tom Beasley and Julie Moon, who uh, later they had Dragon Moon tattoo and Glen Burnie, Maryland, the three of them all apprenticed with Danny Fowler. And I'm pretty sure Danny's still in Roanoke, Virginia. And he came up, I think the name was Time Machine, was the name of his tattoo supply company. And he built machines and everything. And even back then, Danny was known as a good machine builder and he built me a liner back then. Um, Gabe, yes, you can, I would like to show some of your photos from, from the past while we're talking. So um, yeah, Let's see. When you were a child and then like, I think when you were 40 more or less uh, based on what I read. Uh, right. And yeah. Gabe has a few more in there. Yeah, just see those two right now. Yeah, the other one I would have been about 40. Yeah. And oh, that's that, red? Yeah, that's red me in his tattoo room. And you can see I have, well, I had one tattoo <laughs> on yeah, his arm. You still had a lot so of space. Or <laughs> naked at that point. And then I would have been about between 25 and 27 is when I was in art school. So that's about how old I am there. Yeah, he wanted to tattoo my arms as much as I love the guy and all that. I didn't really care for his art that much that he was doing. So I never did go there. But I, again, Red helped me out a lot. And he had photo albums from tattoo conventions from the late 
70s and that's what really turned me on to Ed Hardy and Bob Roberts and Jack Rudy were the main guys I noticed in the albums or you know their work and I would go over to Reds and say hey can I look at those again and he thought that was hysterical really he's like yeah yeah okay whatever but I would pour over that stuff and try to absorb as much as I could but technically Red definitely knew way more than I did and helped me out and Duke helped me too. They, you know, at the time, I didn't realize just how much they helped me. And that's Eddie Deutsch and I, Eddie did that dragon on my side and six hours and 45 minutes. That's why he's mm -hmm. pointing at his watch there. And it was one <laughs> session. <laughs> so you've never, you still have the tattoo as is, you never covered it up. It's, it's still there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. But yeah, okay. that, it was pretty much my whole, yeah, I had my chest done already, but he did it from below there down to, uh, you know, a little bit below my belt line at the time. Mm -hmm. Eddie was living in Minnesota, I'm pretty sure. And I was in San Diego and uh, I did it all in one sitting, frankly, because I didn't know when mm -hmm. I would see again. And we were going to do my thigh too on that same side, but I was so tired following day and he's like oh we're not doing the lower part I'm like no we're not doing the lower part and I never <laughs> did do it the area is still bare but yeah that was yeah usually day. usually after four hours already is like uh, an effort so if it's what, longer than that yeah it's oh yeah well <laughs> it's too much the last, last two hours I kept telling myself it's gonna be over soon it's gonna be over soon and that's what they usually I, say they keep you you know for another 20 minutes and then it's like three hours later yeah right well <laughs> he wasn't telling me anything i was trying to tell myself it would be over soon and the first thought i had in the morning was uh it's going to be over soon and i realized oh it is over i just woke up but yeah it was a heavy duty session and a shocking amount of coverage for the amount of time that he put in there you know it was went on really fast there you can see it pretty well. And my chest was done by uh, Tom Beasley in Glen Burnie. The portrait there is of Patty Kelly. That, that was done in the late 80s, I think. The orchid there is by Bob Roberts. And on the same spot on the other arm, the demon head, I think, is a uh, Ed Hardy design. But Bob Roberts put that on me. And uh, yeah, that would have been the fall of 87. The orchid I got about April of 87 when we first came to San Diego to go to a tattoo convention and a good friend of mine, John McKenzie, has a carousel back piece that is amazing. He repairs and uh, restores carousel horses, but Bob Roberts has done his back and then for uh, John, he introduced me to Bob and I got tattooed during the visit to the convention and as soon as I moved here in the fall of 87. So we've been here since 87. There's Patty and I in the original mm -hmm. little Avalon that was probably about 500 square feet, maybe. And it was just the two of us at that point. So that would have been, we opened up in 89. So that's from 1989. And you're still good friends with Patty? Yeah, we, we haven't been a couple since about 95 or 96, but yeah, I, I talked to her fairly frequently and yeah, we're friends. Yep. 
Um, you've already mentioned a few idols, which is Bob Roberts, uh, Ed Hardy, and what, what other artists were a big inspiration for you? Mm, well, Ed would definitely be number one, I would say, as far as all that. Just I've always loved his style and the fact that he just kept innovating and everything is amazing. And I always loved Bob's uh, traditional approach to it and the simplicity of that. And then the other main influence with Jack Rudy, which is a whole other ballpark there. But yeah, there's Bob. But uh, there's Jack. Yeah, and I met Jack when I was at JC Flies. Jack was sometimes traveling to the East Coast and he would sit in. So I actually met Jack. I always remember it was right around Father's Day because we went looking for Father's Day cards together. But that would have been whenever, when is Father's Day, June or something? So it, it, uh, of In the US, I don't know. Yeah. Uh... No, because in, in Portugal, uh, it's usually in March, so I don't know what which dates here. I'm uh, not familiar with it. But uh, yeah, that's when I met Jack, and then uh, actually he ended up staying overnight with us. And, uh, you know, to have a place to stay while he's sitting in at the shop there. And he was very uh, nice about helping me with a lot of stuff, because I was really, really, really green at that point. And I'm real mm -hmm. good friends with Jack now more so. I know Bob, you know, a little bit and I worked at Ed Hardy's and I know Ed pretty well, but Jack, I talked to uh, all the time. And yeah, that's one of the last times I saw uh, Ed Hardy there. And Ed that Hardy. Was, yeah, that's a art show that Ed uh, had a few years back now, I guess. He had that amazing thing at the museum the, up there. And uh, that's the a young in San Francisco. Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was amazing. He had one whole floor there, and the amount of uh, work that that guy has put out through the years, and the influence he's had, at least on a generation of tattooists. I, I don't, you know, now there's so many other people. Oh yeah, that's uh, a response that he was nice enough to write me. I forget when that one says. I can't see that far with my glasses from where I'm. Uh, I sitting. think you asked something from him and he replied about his sets and oh, Ed Hardy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, was, uh, yeah, I asked if he was selling flash and that kind of thing. And then he was talking <laughs> about uh, tattoo time, I think, as he mentioned that. But yeah, I, I kept that. I collect everything. And yeah, I have tons of stuff from 20 year old, well, not 20 now, 30, 40 years ago almost. That, Which is incredible. That's my address when I still lived in Altoona. So <laughs> I, I left there in 82. So that would have been 82 or earlier. And I saw a book called The Tattooist. And way back when, it was really hard to find anything on tattooing. And I saw that in the back of Easy Riders. And that's uh, it's and uh, bought the book and it mentioned that in there and everything and just it didn't have a whole lot of photos, but just I got the gist that this is the guy, you know, and I had the nerve to write him and he was nice enough to write back. And I got in touch with Paul Rogers around the same time for the same reason, I think, um, from that book, The Tattooist. And I'm pretty sure Ed Hardy had mentioned this is the guy to get machines from. And I wrote to Paul and at the time I didn't have the money 
to buy these machines, but he kept corresponding anyway. Uh, Paul really loved to correspond with people. And when I was working the fairs with uh, Red and Duke, Duke had a Paul Rogers machine and I used it and I was like, wow, this shader really works well. So as soon as I made money at the fair, then I did buy, buy Paul Rogers machines the first time I had the money to do it. Um, you mentioned that you had worked with Ed Hardy uh, one week per month for about four years, which is a long time. Um, Mm-hmm. Explain how it was to work with Ed Hardy and what did you learn from him other than the aesthetic of his work and all the creations, but did you learn anything in the actual shop with him? Well, uh, I was up there because my second wife was going to school up there. And um, that's why I asked Ed if I could sit in because I wanted to see her occasionally. So that's how that happened. And honestly, I acquainted with a lot of the younger guys up there but Ed was the person I knew the best and I felt I I have to say I was pretty nervous about asking him if I could sit in but fortunately he was very receptive to it and I forget how many days a week I was there uh, or you know when I did go up it was I think four or five days in you know in a week span and I just go once a month but uh and Ed, at that point, I, I saw him do his last tattoo two or three times, I think. And, uh, you know, just watching him work. And I have work on me by Ed. He is, he gets in a real zone when he's working, which is very, you know, it's really cool to see that. And Khalil that works up there and who I introduced to Ed. But uh, anyway, uh, he said about Ed, you can tell he's a real tattooist the way, you know, when he, He's in that zone. It's uh, quite interesting. So we didn't sit down and I, n- I never asked for his assistance with drawing or anything like that, but just his whole approach to everything really is pretty inspiring and watching him work and the intensity of that and just the way- He's a true artist. Yeah, he's a true artist. Uh, and that's yeah. one of the reasons why he innovated so much and has inspired so many generations. Um, yeah. what, one of the things that you and, and Hardy, in my opinion, have in common, you both uh, tried to make tattoos more graphical and artistic. And well, do you think so, that going to art school was a factor for that? Because he went to art school also. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but if you could repeat sure. the question, there was a little bit of uh, sound glitchy okay. from the internet. Okay. Cheers. Um, like Ed Hardy, I, in my opinion, I think that you uh, tried to make tattoos more graphical and artistic. Ed Hardy went to art school. You also went to art school. Was that a factor for the way you were creating tattoos at the time? Uh, probably. I mean, I, I, I like tattoos that look like tattoos. I want there to be a simplicity to it. So when you look at it, you can tell what it is and it, hit you, you know, what it is. And so art school probably had something to do with that. And of course, from the get-go, I was studying what Ed was doing because he clearly had a really good grasp on it and the way it looked and moved and mm-hmm. everything. I think the the placement, even of a smaller tattoo is pretty important, but especially a sleeve, that kind of thing, it really, it should have a flow to it. Let, let that, the 
the back uh, back piece of, before this one there that was all put together you know I, I did the piece down in the lower right initially and then it would be like oh can you add a dragon and can you add this and add that but you know considering it was all put together the arms pretty much the same way you know I, I felt it worked out pretty well with a good flow to it and some dynamic movement in it and everything and that, that one's pretty busy but I think it's still pretty it's easy. consistent piece yeah it looks like it was done all at once so uh, well, <laughs> so it's probably <laughs> over 10 years or something like that yeah but also the Japanese influences is to create um, the placement with flow and and you know movement on the the anatomy and to create a whole piece which is different than the American style, which would be more collecting bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. So I think, I mean, and one of the things is I, I'm assuming that you did some tattoo flashes at the beginning, it, but, but you're known for custom art pieces. Excuse oh, me? Yeah. Well, in the beginning, that's like when we went to JC Flies, it's pretty rare that anyone would want anything custom, really, you know, and People would come in and you'd ask, oh, what would you like to get? Oh, I have no idea. And they'd pick it out in 20 minutes. And, you know, which I think there's a beauty to that. And, you know, sometimes you were like, oh, well, how can someone decide so quickly? But I think this <laughs> yeah. is more of a thing, which I, I think there's a beauty to that. It's like, and it isn't nearly as random as you would think, right? You're not going to pick something that you cannot relate to. And at one point, in uh, New York and Virginia, I actually did a good many Tasmanian devils. And one guy said to me, oh, I can really relate to the Tasmanian devil. That's me. So I thought, okay, well, that's every bit as valid as anything else, right? Because, you know, it's funny. I At one shop, I was working uh, real close to another booth, you know, so you could see what each person was doing. And I don't know how many times someone say, oh, why would someone get that dumb thing? And I'm thinking, well, it's no dumber than what you're getting, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a personal taste. It's a personal choice. Yeah, yeah, we're, and yeah, totally. It's just like music or whatever. I mean, it yeah. is art. That's something you're going to wear. And the only person has to like it and relate to it is you. And, exactly. And that they do something for us, apparently. But, you know, I guess like, most things in life, we don't have to do it. It's not a necessity, but there is something about it that's very appealing to a lot of us, obviously. And from, you know, from that period, I think most tattooists have done tattoo flashes, but you became really well known for custom art pieces, Hardy also. And you basically were trendsetters because that's what most tattooers are now doing is custom pieces. What led, at what point did you get clients requesting, you know, draw something on me or do something unique? Uh, it was right about the time we opened Avalon. I feel like, uh, and even in, even at JC Flies, because the bulk of people tattooing at that time, and I'm sure there were always guys who were great artists. I'm not trying to put anybody down or, you know, I appreciate everybody that came before us and all that but at that time it was more unusual than not to just yeah. there were shops that would say this is what's available basically it'd be like if you, you know if you don't see it we don't have it 
and Patty and I from going to art school and we were ready to go, you know, we hit the ground running and especially, man, Patty could draw anything right off the top of her head where I'm more of a need a reference kind of guy. Although, you know, you, you build your catalog or library of designs in your head that if somebody wants a tiger or, you know, a rose or a peony or, you know, whatever, there's a lot of things that become that. But anyway, I'm sorry, I'm drifting away from the question, but about 89 is when we opened Avalon. And at that point, people were kind of waiting for us to be open. They knew we were going to be open. And we had been working in a military shop that was the other end of the spectrum where we never mm -hmm. really did any custom work. And I felt like we were at the right place at the right time. And I know we weren't the only people in the country or the no, world. There was even Charlie Cartwright talked about that, that initially when he had the shop, it was, you have to pick what's on it. And he decided that he didn't want to do that anymore. So right. all of you have really made a difference in the industry and to get it to the level that it is today was because of, you know, all of you as legends and pioneers in this, in this field, really. At the time you might've not thought through, but it has influenced the whole industry and it's incredible. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, you know, the, the other guys you mentioned, they're older and definitely were a big influence on me, Ed and Jack and mm -hmm. Charlie, you know, they were real trendsetters where, and, you know, I've had, to, you know, to not be humble, I guess, I've had a fair amount of people say what an influence I was on them and everything, which makes me feel great, especially, you know, in my advanced age and all that. But at the time, of course, all you're thinking about is I want to do the best job uh, on whatever I can do. And I want to provide people with what they want, not limit what they can exactly. get. Exactly. What's on the wall. Yeah. So yeah it's not so, just, yeah. it's not back, a catalog. You can do something else. Yeah. Yeah. And back in the day, even it was, even if you could do a good copy of something out of a book, that was a big deal because we had a lot easier because just not that many people were doing anything beyond the stock designs, which are now, you know, referred to as traditional American tattoos. When mm -hmm. Back in the day, they were just tattoos. This is basically it, you know, and like Charlie and uh, Jack and Freddie Negretti, they brought that stuff, the black and gray fine line um, out of the prison system, really, and into the mainstream and, you know, all the different styles going on that they started somewhere and now they're all part of the whole package that, you know, there's this available, that available. And, that, and now, of course, people, oh, what do you specialize in? They expect you to specialize in something. And when I was coming up, I thought, well, I want to be able to do anything that walks through that door. Competent. It was normal with having a shop open, you would be more diverse and, yeah. Yeah, and it and it's it must be great for the you know the to me the kids that come into it and it's like I'm doing this and if you want anything else no I'm not doing it which and that's what's happening yeah yeah it's that way and good for them but I still don't feel that way you know and there, there's a lot of teeny tattoos that I it's important to the person and all that but I would just as soon give it to somebody else in my shop at, you know that to do rather than myself because I can still do that stuff and will and everything but and of course I'm trying to distribute 
the wealth in the shop too to keep my for me working but i do i still prefer to do of course my favorite things that my cats meow away there uh, my <laughs> what happens on zoom <laughs> is uh tigers and tiger heads and all that but in general i i like doing japanese style stuff and uh, americana and everybody you know they bring me different ideas that i enjoy and that's one's a the tiger there is a take on a uh the other one and you're was, one of the and you're one of the kings of, of tiger tattoos in my opinion there's a lot of great artists and you're one of them but it's you excel in it yeah well they yeah and I, I feel like mine they sort of have a definite look to them and i'm they sure do. some probably hate them and that's fine too someone was telling me he worked out of new york and he was trying to uh, talk a girl into getting a googly-eyed tiger is how he put it like one of mine and she just wouldn't go for it. So I get it. That's fine. Because I, I feel in general, for better or worse, my work has a certain look to it. And it's characteristic. And, yeah. Yeah. Which most people do, you know, it's and that's a good thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's uh, a big thing to me, really. And that just developed through the years, you know, and uh, it wasn't, and, and I guess everybody develops their own thing eventually because I was influenced by this and that and was trying, like with that stuff, I, I loved his tigers from the get-go. Yeah, and they're- And, they're and what about comics and cartoons? Uh, uh, in the 70s, there was the, in Long Beach, the Carney kind of vibe. So there's a bit of a cartoony vibe with the, the tattoos then. Is that yeah. one of your influences also? Is that something or is it just- uh, Oh, I always, I always liked cartoons and all that. I remember even I, I was probably in my 40s or something visiting my family and I was sitting there laughing at cartoons and my dad commented on it. So all that stuff definitely influenced me. And the uh, I have a few drawings I did when I was like five that my mom kept, you know, one's a watercolor and another's a crayon thing, but they're both cartoon dogs. They look like... Uh, Huckleberry Hound is what the one looks like. And so, yeah, there was a big influence in that. And, you know, again, the the boldness and sub simplicity of animation that it has to be done that way or used to have to be done that way, you know, when everything was all hand done. And of course, now all this stuff looks well, like a modeled sculpture and everything. Yeah, it's different. It's, it's before yeah. it was with the, like the film paper that you would do overlapping and now it's computerized it's just different it's yeah it has but, a yeah. different touch now i mean <laughs> it's yeah. Not, it's yeah it's more 3d-ish and, and, and i still like the classic cartoons a lot with yeah. the outlines and yeah mm -hmm. i like both but of course and you know and everything just like with uh tattooing it keeps developing and people come up with new things and now everyone almost everyone i think i'm the only one still without an ipad pro and my shop maybe i'll break down and get one but and i have to admit occasionally i ask somebody else hey can you do this for me laying out you're still old i mean something like you're that still old I, school I, with paper and pencil yeah it's, it's, yeah uh, well, that's it, takes, it takes a while to adapt to new technology if you're doing something well i mean unless you want to do it 
there's no, I mean, there's no reason unless you want to evolve with new technology because pen, pencil and paper still function very well. Yeah, well, that that's funny because I, uh, a negative, I guess, is I, I still use a paper and pencil appointment book because I said to one of my guys, because I, I, <laughs> I think it's funny when they're freaking out because uh, we don't have a, you know, my <laughs> iPad isn't working or whatever. And then like, yeah, you need to charge it or something. Yeah. But you sent me a note. As funny as you still using, uh, you know, a paper appointment book, and you have to call the shop to say, "Hey, I have a." Yeah, anyway, but yeah, it's it's just a technological thing. And one thing, it's like it it seems like the whole iPad Pro has generated a, a separate look, where it all looks like the same person is doing it to me. <laughs> but in the past, yeah. though, I always felt like okay, they're there could be one guy doing Japanese tattooing or what could be one guy doing biker style tattooing, you know, whatever other things that was so traditional, you know, it all looked like, and I got it very similar, right? So I'm not trying to put anybody down by saying what the iPad stuff looks similar, but they got it all figured out on that thing for sure, right? They got the shading. Sometimes the, it's the like, tools and the brushes that they use. If it's similar, it can create similar lines, but yeah. uh, but it's easier to edit for someone that's starting now. It's easier than probably doing paper and pen and then not have to use a rubber. But it's once again, things evolve over time, but it's not necessary to do it that way. I still know a lot of tattooers that are young that are still drawing on paper. So. Uh -huh. Yeah, and I guess that's probably the people that are using the iPad and everything are way more comfortable with that, where I'm comfortable the other way with, uh, you know, doing it the old school way with paper and pencil. I can do, you know, I do all the things they're doing, but manually, you know, I can do layers and I do, I'll take a picture of a back or whatever and then uh, print it out just on regular copy paper and draw on there to do a study rather than doing it on an iPad. But you know, like my little boy's only eight and he's better on a computer than I am. Uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he knows way more about it than I do. It just, my brain just can't get it. It seems like, you know, so it, I guess on one hand it is like, yeah, why, why force it? And, oh yeah, I gotta do this because everybody else is doing it, I guess. I it's really not necessary. No, I, I don't think it's necessary because you draw very well and I think the, the main thing is knowing how to draw and yeah. having creativity and then the tools will vary person to person and generation to generation. Um, yeah. You actually sent me notes when I asked a few questions, preliminary questions before the interview. It's the first time that someone's actually written it. You know, I'm, I'm still from a generation that I write a lot of stuff and I have like my, my schedule all written, not just on the computer. I like having oh. something tangible that's not just on oh. screen. So. Yeah, I thought that and, was interesting. Oh, yeah, it was easier for me again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting notes. It's it's, it's different. And I mean, it's yeah. And I I made the effort to make sure it was legible. And for a, I thought about doing comic books and stuff. And I'm not sure if I sent that to you in all caps because I developed this thing. I Somebody so. that worked for me commented on, oh, that lettering's so cool. And to me, it wasn't anything. It was just uh, all caps, like in a comic book or something, because I had considered trying to do that, but it never went in anywhere. In little bubbles, yeah. Uh, 
Well, not that, but you know, just the the way the font is written, where it's just a yeah, it's usually capitals, but it is within that style. And uh, I was friends with uh, the Piz, and he he did comics, and we talked about it some, you know. And he said, "Oh, yeah, I think you could do that," but he's telling me at that well, that would have been about 1990. He said he was getting 75 bucks a page to do it. So I was like, oh boy, that seems like a lot of work for 75 bucks. But anyway, you know, I've been busy with tattooing since 1984. So I, and, and I've tried to, you know, I do some painting and do other things too, of course, but uh, tattooing has been my main focus. Other than painting, what else do you do? Sculptures? Uh, I've only done a few things with clay. My my mother, other main interest is music. And before I went to art school, I, I played in uh, top 40 cover bands in my hometown. And at one point actually traveled and played in lounges and stuff with a band. If you've seen the Blues Brothers movie, we were basically yeah. like Murph and the Magic Tones. That's about <laughs> what that was. And then... Uh that for a little while and then uh later even like i think the last time i was in an actual band's been about 10 years ago now and i also i was playing at a blues jam thing for a while where some of us that developed into a band so that's my main other interest is uh, is music pardon me music is your main other main yeah. interest is playing. Yeah. a buddy of mine we just got back in touch i've known that guy since I was four years old and he's the one that got me going on guitar way back when I when I was about 15 I started his name Skip Crum and uh but anyway Skip and I are talking daily anymore and it's got me re-interested in that and I'm not in a band now or anything but I play daily you know and and that's fun to get back into that but yeah, that's really art and music are my main interest and I I do recall that's in the yearbook when you're supposed to say, what are you going to do later? I put art or music. So I did both. You did a bit of both. Yeah. And even that, you know, when I was playing in those bands before 82, I, I got in my first popular local band when I was 19. And that was kind of interesting because we played at bars all the time and stuff, but there wasn't it like in California, I know there's a stipulation that if you're not, 21 you have to either be on the stage or uh not in the bar but that wasn't the case back then and i wasn't getting served or anything but i could play but uh, you know with altac going on but so from 19 until i was 25 i did that along with uh my dad was a, a the family business was a lumber yard and it was sold but my dad was president so i always had a job there if I wanted one my dad was nice that way and even flat out said yeah I believe in nepotism I, I want to keep my family working you know so I was doing that and playing in bands primarily before art school and then after art school I've been mainly uh, tattooing and you know playing some well that's interesting because there's a few conventions like the Santa Rosa convention that they do a lot of live music Oh, and right. among others and it's pretty interesting because music and tattooing are usually interconnected in the events space yeah. and there's a lot of tattooers that are also in music so yeah well it's, it's, yeah, 
music and art are, it's really the same thing, just a different way of expressing it, I think, you know, so, because yeah, to me, I, I'm almost surprised when people that do art don't play an instrument. Yeah, I used to play the drums, but this was years ago, but I don't had to, so, yeah. Right. Yeah. I went to music school, yeah, for three years. I loved it, but then I didn't want to end up playing in a band because at a certain point when you, if you learn at a school, music school, you have to play in a band to progress. Mm -hmm. And I was just interested just playing right. the drums and learning it correctly, so yeah. yeah. So um, going back to some of the idols that you talked about, you spoke about Jack Rudy, who's something, someone that I actually spoke with recently on the phone. And he's a very interesting person. You have stated that he is a tormentor. What does that mean? <laughs> what? What's that now? A he, tormentor. He, oh, he's joking around about the term mentor. You know, rather than being a mentor, he's a tormentor. You know, that that's just like a jack joke or something. But, but that's mainly what that means, I think. He's just talking about, you know, and he's a... a uh, real prankster, or not pranks, it's a bit but of a jokester. yeah, he likes yeah. to play around. Yeah, he's, uh, I think in the first tattoo time, uh, Ed Hardy called him a wiseacre, and Jack commented something like, oh yeah, like that's my other occupation or something, you know, he thought it was pretty funny, but uh, yeah, he's definitely like that, and he's always notoriously late, that's one of the other things about <laughs> yeah. Jack. If you have a noon appointment, count on to get tattooed about midnight. But uh, he's he worth the wait. <laughs> I think he it's might. It's worth said, the wait. Yeah. Always late, but worth the wait. <laughs> but and and he he's a real nice, easy going guy, and he just enjoys life in general. And you know, he's like that because I mentioned about him being late to his wife, and she says, "Yeah, but he loves his friend so much. He just." loves it but and it, he is like that he just he never like if we're at a car show or out to dinner or anything he doesn't want to leave you know he can if you want to see someone that can make a meal last for about three hours that'd be jacked he lives in the present a lot that's one of the things that i talked with him is that he's not on the clock at all he's just living the moment and yeah that's it so yeah because yeah talk on the telephone if, if it's not an hour at least, I'd be shocked, you know, because you just talk to some people like you're just in the room with them, right, on the phone, and Jack would be one of those guys. He's easy to talk to, very easy. He, oh, he's yeah. very charismatic, he likes to joke right. around, and, and yeah, you do have to wait a little bit, but it's worth it. Another thing that you have in common with Jack is that you love classic cars. Mm -hmm. What car do you own? Currently, uh, I have a, a 52 Chevy uh, hardtop. And uh, actually, Jack was, I always liked old cars. Yeah, that's the one I got now. But yeah, when I was 16, the first car I ever bought was a 47 Plymouth. And it, you know, it was just stock and I loved that. But it was funny, my granddad liked cars, but he liked, he had a Firebird. And uh, the last few years of his life, he died when he was 80. Four, he probably well, he got Firebirds when they were first came out and mm -hmm. got another every couple of years. But he said to me, "Why do you want to get an old car? They weren't any good then, and they aren't any good now." And 
some people just don't get it, but like this car now that I have, it has a 350 Chevy engine and an automatic and uh, disc brakes in the front, you know, power steering, all that. Cause I, I love the way they look, but the, you know, the old mechanicals aren't what they could be or, you know. So it's so, been a little, you've pimped it up a little bit, pimped my ride yeah. kind of, uh, yeah. <laughs> even the paint job is, is different. Right. Yeah. Like this one, it's not chopped. I, I did have a 49 Mercury and it was chopped and more extreme like this. And I had a 40 Mercury, same thing where, and, uh, you know, lowered and everything. This has the 52 Chevy has airbag suspension. So you can pretty much drop it or, you know, put it at comfortable ride height. But really my buddy, Frank Mills, that he helped me out too in the beginning with tattoo stuff and then uh jack they were both really into custom cars because i remember looking through a stack of jack's pictures and he had just been to a car show and i was like whoa these cars look like they're moving when they're standing still and th that was a big influence on me there because it was really frank and jack that got me interested in the whole custom car thing before that i really I didn't know anything about it. And those guys, you know, help influence that. And, and I, incentive, yeah. Pardon me? And Jack, they gave you incentive about the, the whole car, you yeah, know, right. altering and, and also going to the shows also helps quite a lot. Jack right. just posted it yesterday that about, a, I don't know if it's a car show, but he was posting some car pictures. So he's always, uh, you know, showing some, you know, different stuff. Right. Other than um, the the cars and the idols, um, I wanted to get on a more serious note about um, since you've started in 79, you've gone through, a, a, you know, probably ups and downs like everyone in their career. What are some of the positive change to the industry over time? Uh, well, probably the fact that people do want custom work more often than not. That would definitely be something. And one thing that I feel like my generation and the group right above wanted to help popularize it more and bring it into the mainstream, which I guess it is did. a better thing. <laughs> well, you did that, that's for sure, because yeah. it's very accessible so, now. <laughs> and I think the tipping point or whatever you want to call it with like the thing that I never ever thought I would see happen was the TV shows. And with that, it, it seemed like it really boosted our business for a while, but fairly, probably a couple years into it, there's just a deluge of um, tattoo artists now. And a lot of them are really good and everything. It's, it's really evolved because there's always some stepping stone, you know, with whatever you do to the next progression, right? So you know, like somebody I know, Sailor Jerry was a giant influence on Ed Hardy. And I look at Jerry's stuff and I can appreciate that and everything, but I like Ed's a lot more, you know. A lot and more. Ed, it's more, yeah, it's Al more. It's, a, it's the timing that he, it's the timing that Ed also influenced from Japan and his work was right. also more artistic, not so flat. So there's things that it's right. just different generations. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it keeps progressing that way. So there's, because, you know, there's so many great artists anymore. I won't even know where to start. And some of them do, I feel it is a direct continuation, 
of what uh, I do or, you know, what Ed w was doing when he tattooed and all that. So, but there's that progression that keeps on going. But yeah, whenever, I, I think the tattoo shows made it more accessible to people was sort of not as scary to them to come into the shop, that kind of thing. And it really picked up business. And for a while, it seemed like everyone had to go in depth about their story because I know there was some show that focused on that. Miami then, was one. Miami was one of the right. in early 2000s and it went on for a long time. Right. But even the Ami James and Chris Garver, when I spoke with both of them, they, they said it helped a lot to become more accessible, but then it was scripted. So it wasn't really showing the reality. Of, so right. it's been good and bad. Yeah, right. And, but yeah. And then after a couple of years, it seemed like the market just got flooded with tattoo artists. And, you know, we're still relatively busy, but, and cause sometimes I think, oh, we're not all that busy, but we have, you know, it's like me and five other people. And occasionally someone sits in and most days we all do at least a tattoo, if not several tattoos, you know, so Mm -hmm. It's it can't be that slow if a shop is producing ten tattoos and and our in San Diego I think there's now four hundred tattoo shops in the county. So <laughs> well, that, those are the negative parts of the of the change is yeah. that now it's oversaturated. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I think yeah. it's most cities are over. And now with even with what's happening with COVID nineteen, a lot of the young tattooers that we're going to conventions and doing guest spots, they're opening also. So right. we're going to have a, another group yeah. of people opening shops. So, right. Well, I know and that. How do you, how do you keep your business afloat with all of this going on? Do you have to continuously promote or is it? Yeah. Well, I feel fortunate that we've been around forever. And, you know, a guy came in the other day and he said, Oh, I know everybody here is good. That's why I came here. Cause I think it would be harder for other people, but it's on the other hand, there's Instagram. Cause you know, back in the day with the magazines, we really came up in the magazine era, I feel. And that Patty Kelly was our main promoter there. You know, I liked the fact all I had to do was tattoo. Patty was really into that, but now, you know, everybody that works for me has their Instagram. And that's how you promote it. And I'm fortunate that they feel that there's enough value in continuing to work at the shop to stay there. But that is what has happened, especially with the COVID-19 sort of forced that where people couldn't work in a shop. And that, so they decided, well, I plan B and now plan B has turned into plan A because a friend of mine, he yeah. had two or three more people at the beginning of COVID and they all left because they, you know, oh, I'm going to do my private studio, which, uh, you know, and they are skilled people. I was going to say in the past, you'd be referred to as a scratcher, but that also implies you don't know what you're doing. And I'm not saying that's what's going on. It's just people are more, way more independent than they used to be, you know, even at a tattoo convention and a booth, there might be a shop sign but there's also everybody that works in there you know promoting themselves so that's different 
you know, and yeah, as far as positive, one main positive thing through the years has been the whole sanitation thing for sure. Mm. Back in the day, that was, you know, something that people didn't, didn't even consider, I think. For it was the, the sponge and bucket, you know. Yeah. Uh, Carrie was one of the one of the people that actually helped a lot with rules about that. And at the time, she was criticized for for bringing in uh, you know the gloves, and yeah. she didn't she didn't like the feel of having blood on her hands. And so right. she was one of the you know the few that were actually putting you know standardization of of health right. and and safety. And yeah. today well today everyone basically is using that and now we have extra prevention with the covid but you know the tattoo are already a lot of them already were wearing masks depending on where they were tattooing and the gloves so i mean everything was pretty sterilized yeah well yeah and all that yeah now with the disposables and everything but as soon as patty and i were in a shop and fly did it too you know we used an autoclave of course and everything even as early as 84 and uh and the glove thing it was kind of funny in new york there none of them wore them and we didn't you know you learn from whoever teaches you and people were not very about medical issues because for us it came down to patty had long nails didn't like having dirty nails started wearing gloves and so we did because we thought well we can't look bad because she's wearing gloves but i remember back then they on Long Island, they made it a rule, I think, because of Patty wearing them. And of course, there were guys that, oh, this sucks. I don't want to do this. That's what and, happened yeah, to Carrie Barber. She, yeah, right. she was at a convention using all that because she was bothered having blood directly on her hands. And she said she started, she had to, and it wasn't easy finding gloves at the time. It's not oh. like now that there's everywhere. So she was constantly like, if you start doing this, then we have to also do it. So that was the concern of other people that were not doing it. But as it evolved, obviously it was the right path was to use yeah. gloves and to clean everything. So yeah, right. to avoid infections. Um, you are owner, you had opened Avalon. You're currently the owner of Avalon 2 in San Diego. Right. Due to COVID, due to COVID-19, especially in California, you had very long lockdowns. Uh, what did you do during that time? Uh, spent a lot of time with my kid. <laughs> and uh, also I was painting more and everything. And the first couple of weeks, well, we were initially told, oh, it's going to be about two weeks, right? That was the, mm -hmm. or the impression I got, but it was three months. And, uh, yeah. but I did do more painting and I did uh, some t-shirts and, you know, so I was trying to, yeah out a way to make some money and you know that's the main way to do it is do artwork well for me you know so i was painting more than i did i did i think and i did at least one commission in there but when i paint i like to just paint what i want to do because really every tattoo is a private commission so mm -hmm. uh whenever i have the opportunity to do whatever i feel like doing at the moment i I like to do that. So, but that, I was doing that. And yeah, at the time too, my little boy was out of school and, and uh, yeah, that was his name, rough. His name is Rex? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That so was you had more nickname. Your father's name? Yes. Yeah, his nickname. Okay. Okay. His poker 
playing buddies would call him that. But my, my dad had a pretty domineering personality. So I think it, the King thing had something to do with that too. And my- So you had more time person, with- so you had more time with your family, with your son. Um, yeah. Has going back to the studio been hard after that break, or is it? Are you were you excited to be back at work? Uh, kind of both, honestly. Now I'm more used to being back. Initially, it was kind of like, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it was easier than I thought to fill the days because when I, you know, we first we all got the news that oh, we're having this shutdown. I thought, man, every day is going to seem like an eternity. But to me, it seemed to be the opposite because I, I usually get up about eight and I swear I'd blink my eyes and, oh, it's 10 o'clock, you know, oh, now it's one. You know, the days flew by, really, where I, I was sort of shocked by that, how it's relatively easy to fill your day because I, I did try to make an effort. Well, I have to spend this much time today doing artwork or, you know, doing something so, specific. And so you had a kind of a semi-schedule, at least with painting and to keep busy. Yeah, to try to yeah. do, right? And, you know, and watching. And you made, and you did also a lot of, like I have a mask, that's actually my favorite out of them. Cause the other ones I have are all plain. I have this mask, which you did, so. Oh, yeah, I, I can't see anything. That's your tiger. It's the tiger oh, one. Yeah. Okay, good, good. Yeah, that's. Uh, so you made merchandise throughout this time, also, which. Yeah, well, that that's a, a Teespring thing. A guy was helping me with that, and he ended up being too busy. I still, I have to try to pick it back up. And the Teespring stuff, it is, it's printed to order, so that's the okay. main good thing about it. You don't have to spend a bunch of money on inventory. And have but yeah, and I, have it stocked yeah. Yeah, I do the shop shirts and, you know, you have to spend a certain amount of money to get a batch. And then, you know, usually that it all depends. Sometimes the shirts sell out in a matter of weeks and other times I'll have them for months. I, I need to promote them more, but I don't really like having my whole Instagram uh, page just ads. for of the merchant. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes some more sense to promote your the, what you do, which is tattooing, so. Yeah, right. But you can put it in the stories, which you do every now and then. Put like yeah. mix it in with the stories, which is only twenty four hours. And yeah. all right, yeah. So we, we came to our last question of our interview, and we have a very special guest who is in your living room because <laughs> we were going to do this on a, another camera, but it's a very close friend of yours, someone right. that you have tattooed for I on think over, over thirty years. His name is Steven Johnson, who is a San Diego tattoo collector, and he has a very, very. important job, a very important job collecting uh, tattoo memorabilia t-shirts from artists all over the world. I, my Okay, the camera. <laughs> this is what happens on the live stream. <laughs> and Steven has done a very important job in the industry. Uh, he's not a tattoo artist, but he is a collector, and he also has a collection of tattoos on his body by FIP. And I have a book here that is from Southern Californian tattoo artists, which FIP, you're here in on page 112. 
And I'm just going to flip it quickly. So here's FIP. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to show. And this this is what I want to show. This back piece here is of Stevens. So explain how you both met and how it evolved into a friendship which has lasted the test of time, really. Uh, really, about 91, I believe it was, I went, I wanted a tattoo. So I went to um, Tattoo Land on Rosecrans and got the first one, which was a little heart. And then a little shortly later on, I went back and got a tiger off the wall as this flesh. Well, I started getting into them and I was, I grew up where there was a magazine. So I, that's what my thing was. I go to the store and grab a magazine and look at the tattoo magazine and just keep looking at it, looking at it. Over time, when I wanted to get another one, I found out about Avalon. Everybody was talking about Avalon. Everybody was talking about FIP. And this was early 90s. So the thing, I made a phone call, made an appointment, and went down there. Saw FIP. He put a geisha on me, and it was just outlined at the time. Uh, a little bit later, I finally went back, and but during the time of waiting to get it done, I found out that you can have black and gray. And so I started liking black and gray more so than color. And then I just started getting more work, made an appointment with FIP and just started going after that of, I started my back piece. I asked him if he'd do my back. He asked me what I wanted, I told him. And he asked me if I had reference. I'm like, okay, I want a giant Buddha. I want some dragons, it's a little pagoda. And I said, I trust you because then I knew, I already knew what FIP could do, what he brought to the table. So it was highly recommended. And I just, we started off at that, did my back piece, I think in six, seven months. And then I went to my first tattoo convention and uh, won a little plaque on that for um, black and gray for my back piece. And going to the convention, it was weird because, I mean, I had a full back piece, my arms were done, and a couple of uh, chest was done, but I still felt like I didn't even have enough to compete with any of the people that mm -hmm. I was around. I was young. And anyways, um, got my trophy, got my plaque, you know, and I was happy as could be, and um, just been going to FIP ever since. You know, we talk on the phone, we talk text daily, and he's just a, my, my idol, you know, I mean, I've collected from him, like I said, I, early nineties, my bodysuit is it's a long just, time. Yeah. Very it's long time. All, all black and gray. I, my arms, my forearms are last. I'm kind of old school and uh, I've been called a reverse hipster <laughs> because of that. I have everywhere else that you can't see <laughs> tattoo. You have and to I, earn it. That's not, yeah, it's, it's very old school style, but I, I appreciate it. Non-tattooed, Steve. <laughs> so, yeah, usually if you're like with sleeves, people think you don't have any tattoos, but you have what, 80% of your body or more? Yes. Yeah, that's a lot. It's <laughs> lower arms, but yeah, it's funny. I, I was at my grandmother's funeral and someone, uh, you know, one of my relatives, I probably never met before even, but anyway, He's like, oh, I thought you were a tattooist. Wear your tattoos, and I'm there in a suit, you know. So I thought, well, unless they're on my neck, face, and hands, you're not going to see them. And you know, and 
that's my case too, because I'm up from that generation. Yes. Like odd to have your neck tattooed or your hands tattooed or whatever. And uh, but anyway, no. yeah, like Steve is real covered, but most of the time you don't know. But he wears shorts all the time, so gotta show. So you can see, so you can show off the legs at least, right? I mean, right. Yeah. I mean, we're in a generation of Justin Bieber and and other artists, the musicians that. They start with the, the neck or post Malone with the face and right. then have their bodies kind of blank. It's a little strange, but the tendency seems to be show off first, which in the Japanese culture is actually, it's not supposed to be for showing off. So, right. and, and that's the, well, that's the way I'm also doing it. I'm kind of, other than into my back, usually it looks like I have nothing, but I have for me. So I want to earn it also. Yes. <laughs> so are you open to showing at least your back and chest so we can see a little bit of the work instead of in the book, like yeah, a little right. bit on screen to see Phipps work? Uh, I don't know how you do. Well, you might have to rotate the, the camera a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's, let's say just my forearms. You can come a little closer. Here, the, the, when did we do the tiger on your stomach? Has that been a couple of years ago? Yes, maybe three years ago, two years ago. That hurt. Uh, at first, I thought it was the lower back, and then it was the, the ribs. Then it was the sternum. But my kneecap was probably the worst. And then I recently had. <laughs> Uh, we can go we can go fully uh legs everything we're authorized by gabe <laughs> i don't oh here open you have to get a little closer or put it hang, hang on just a second we're going to get more lighting in here just okay push it sorry okay yeah and i can't really see what i'm doing come here i'm going to put a 25 cent uh Surcharge on the wow. uh, <laughs> here. Get over here. Which one are we? Doing? Okay. Better? No. Do we see? Okay. Yeah. So a little this better. Is yeah. More kind of recent stuff within the last couple of years, anyway. Where what when what year did we do your back? Uh, Ninety nine. It was finished. Okay. So that's yeah. And then here, go ahead and yeah. Here you got the. Portrait of uh, Felix Liu and uh, Paul Rogers to the other side here. Yeah, am I getting it yet? Let's see. No, yeah, that's good. That's good. You can see it. Paul and uh, Felix, and then a real traditional uh, girl there, and then another sailor. Another sailor, yeah. Yeah, that's relatively new. I had done the, the one whole butt cheek is a octopus head, and then it goes down. Through his leg, and uh, I'm yeah. assuming the butt cheek has to hurt because that's been one of the places on the back. Yes, yeah. and I have my neck. <laughs> that one. I I was yeah. surprised how sensitive the cheek was. I didn't think. Yeah. That was yeah. It definitely a sore spot. Same with the ditch. Yeah, we yeah spot. we put a. A bat down in there. 
So, yeah, it's all, and really with all this stuff, it wasn't really all planned out. Steve continued to get pieces and then I added the background because yeah. people will say, well, what, what am I going to do with all this stuff? And I usually suggest wind or water, you know, because it yeah, pretty for, yeah, buys everything. Too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, these, well, he, Stephen is these the collector, so he is also collecting tattoos for a long time. So it looks like one piece, but right. Mm -hmm. And so, when are you going to do the the forearms, which are blank right now? One more time. Your forearms. When are you planning on getting them inked? I hopefully probably in a couple of years. One is going to be saved for the grandkids. Something okay. special. And I'm actually in the works to try to go um, see Mr. Philip Blue in Switzerland to um, get some work done. And I'm not okay. sure the my waistline or my forearm if forearm will. forearm forearm he will. forearm. Yeah, forearm. why why get it on your damn ass? Come uh, on, Stephen. So probably within the next <laughs> few years, but it, it's just never been a rush for me. It's just something that I. I love to do it's you know I I've been collecting from FIP I've have a room dedicated to art I have a closet full of t-shirts a good 150 from around the world hard to get ones I love to get them signed because it just makes them more special to me you know no intention on selling them so you know I have the artist ask the artist if they'll sign them they'll sign them for me put my name they'll put the dates and they sign them however they want, and then they go in my closet for my collection. So uh, when the COVID's over, are you going to be displaying this somewhere publicly, the, your, all of your collection? Which I'm dying to see. I still have to go all the way. I have to get to San Diego first. But yeah. I can ask. Um, I was offered we were going to do a booth up at the LA convention, but due to COVID, that stopped. So yeah, I, I would love to do some display. You know, I, I'm proud of my collection. I have walls are full, my ceilings full of, you know, art from around the world. They're not all originals, they're prints. So, but some of them are signed and it's just, it, it doesn't always have to be the original for me. You know, I, mm -hmm. I love prints, just where they come from. You know, Germany, Italy, I, my international friends are amazing. You know, they treat me well and they help me get stuff for my collection they give me stuff for my collection hard to get stuff and i know you Sorry. have the whole section you have the, you have a fit canning section after all of these years of collecting this oh, app geez. is is owned by guy Aitchison. how do you have anything by guy no but i do i i followed him i mean i have books from the early 90s and that was it you know that was our facebook or instagram how it was you know and i loved looking at them i still have them i, I open my my boxes and i just look at them and i've seen guys work i mean since the 90s and it's amazing what he does and you know just the layers and layers of you know work that he does i mean it's just yeah it's amazing but no i unfortunately i do not have any of his work so I'm going to make a request here, and Gabe's in the background also helping with this live stream, for Guy Aitchison, who will be watching this, to send one item to Stephen, the tattoo collector, who is 
building one of the best collections in the world, also to create some sense of tattoo history for all of us. And hopefully Guy will get in touch. So, yeah, and thank you very much for being a guest also here. Basically our interview is at the end, the cat's running around there, which is funny. <laughs> it's always great. This is what happens with the Zoom. Thank you very much to FIP for this amazing interview and to continue doing everything you have, which is an inspiration for all generations. Thank, Thank you. you to Gabe in the background. And we'll see you probably in San Diego sometime after the COVID. Once it's all over, we'll be, you know, drinking coffee or something. Hopefully. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye now.